In today's episode, we are discussing teen dating violence. I'm looking forward to talking about this topic today because this is something that's been on the rise. It often gets overlooked, and it can be difficult to know about how to talk about this among our young people. I will be talking with Randy Randolph, Senior Prevention Coordinator for Expect Respect, a program of the Safe Alliance. Expect Respect promotes healthy relationships and the prevention of violence and abuse among children and teens. Randy, I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for inviting me. So let's go ahead and start with a better understanding of what teen dating violence is. So teen dating violence is when anyone experiences emotional, physical, or sexual abuse in a dating relationship. So it's not something that has to be a current dating relationship. Somebody could have experienced it in a prior uh, dating relationship. Is that correct? Absolutely. It could be any time in your life. One of the reasons that it's kind of difficult If you've experienced it in previous relationships, you would think, oh, I learned my lesson and I'm not likely to do it again. But actually, it sets the stage for being in more of those types of relationships because it starts to normalize in your mind that that's what relationships are all about. And it's more than just an occasional bad mood or a bad day or um, having an argument. It's something that is, we, we all, we understand we have bad days. Um, sometimes we may, you know, raise our voice at somebody, but it goes past um, like a, you know, one-time deal where I'm having a bad day and I get into an argument. If you look at it, it really has to do with different behaviors. Like there's behavioral triggers. It's not just somebody, you know, they start to talk about this cycle of abuse Mm -hmm. and then people start to say, well, that's not what's happening. It's not happening in that way. And therefore, this isn't what's going on. Mm -hmm. So if you really look at it, um, because I come from a prevention standpoint, it's when somebody in the relationship consistently needs to get their own way. They get really freaked out with a no, with a boundary, with someone not agreeing with their thoughts or opinions or or ideas or try to assert um, their own boundaries around things, Mm -hmm. that's when we get the biggest reaction. Yeah, it's about control, right? The the intention is to control or intimidate um, another person. I I would say, so in our field, a lot Mm -hmm. of times people stop at control. Mm -hmm. But what we really need to understand is what they're trying to control. Mm -hmm. And what they're trying to control is actually their own feelings of panic, insecurity, um, abandonment that comes when somebody doesn't agree with them. They freak out to a great level. And so the easiest way to regulate themselves because they don't know how to regulate Mm -hmm. on their own, is to ask the other person to regulate their emotions Mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. And the way they do that is if I feel jealous when you hang out with this person, Mm -hmm. then if you just stop seeing that person, I'm calm again. And so that's what the back and forth looks like. And it's really compelling to be on the other side of it. Because in your own way, you feel like you're in control. Mm-hmm. Like, all I have to do is stop seeing this person and they'll, they'll I get to see their best self. All I have to do is uh, not like, um, you know, male friends or female friends that intimidate my partner. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like you get their best selves. Mm-hmm. And so um, that back and forth makes both people kind of feel like they're powerful and in control. But the person who's accommodating actually is losing more and more control in the relationship. 
And it may feel good. It may feel like, oh, this person really cares about me. They want me all to themselves or um, they're looking out for me. And sometimes it's even phrased as that, like, right, again, that seek to or that um, that goal of relieving anxiety or an uncomfortable feeling. It's said with, well, it's because I love you and I care about you. And that's why I don't want you going out at night because something bad could happen to you. And it feels good. Oh, you know, this person really cares about me. Um, and that can be... Um, something that feels really good and can be um, almost um, like seductive in a sense. I absolutely think that uh, one of the things that happens in our field, like um, like websites or whatever mm-hmm. else, they always say abuse isn't love. Totally true. However, what when they make messages like that, because I've been working with young people, I'm in my 21st year, Everything's interactive. It's like hours and hours of focus groups and how young people have evolved over time. Mm-hmm. And um, so early in our field, we used to talk about healthy versus unhealthy mm-hmm. relationships. And all of a sudden, I saw young people shut down. They were never going to see it. This can't be unhealthy because we're in love. Mm-hmm. And if we're in love, then you just don't understand. And I also get that we're trying to talk to young people all the time about not judging people, not judging things, Mm -hmm. and that unhealthy versus healthy becomes a judgment. So if I say it's healthy, I stop looking at the negatives. If I say it's unhealthy, then I've taken away all the positives, and it becomes like that. And so when we talk about relationships, we talk about the things that, you know, that resonate, and that's that this is hurtful behavior or is this loving behavior? Because that's an experience. And guess what? Both exist within any relationship mm-hmm. or nobody would stay. Mm-hmm. And so when you're talking about those uh, words of affirmation, mm-hmm. I just care about you. I don't want you to be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, just skip class and be with me. We mm-hmm. love spending time together. Mm-hmm. Or wouldn't it be cool if we started a family? Um, because, you know, you're the love of my life. You're everything to me. And it doesn't matter that we're in middle school. Okay. Mm -hmm. All of those things. Rom-coms have kind of set us up to want to hear those things. Mm -hmm. You, you are my person. You are my lobster. Um, all of those different affirmations and young people are like, wow, I am so lucky to have found this Mm -hmm. so early in my life. Is this something that's really prevalent among our young people? So just you know, I'm not a statistic person, but sometimes you have to yeah. bring those to the table. And so one in three teens will experience physical, emotional, sexual, or, or uh, what a, psychological mm-hmm. abuse in their relationships before they reach adulthood. Wow. And the scary thing about that is if you've experienced that in your teens, you're more likely to experience that in early college. And so um, 16 to 24 are the scariest times for women, especially, to experience dating violence in their relationships. And the like, um, I don't want people to think that all straight relationships, boy-girl relationships, boys are abusers and girls are the ones being hurt yeah. because that's not true. There are definite ways that boys are being hurt in their relationships. But overall, the pattern is that a male would be more hurtful to a female. And 
the worst part about that is when you try to get out of those relationships or even when you're in them. Um, but, you know, the most dangerous times are definitely when you're trying to get out of them. Yeah. And that's where we see the murders, the murders of teens, girls who wanted to get out of a hurtful relationship, which everybody wanted them to, and then they never get a chance to be in another relationship. So we talked about behaviors, um, and I want to go back to that uh, just for a minute. Behaviors that are are loving behaviors or uh, hurtful behaviors. Sometimes, and this is what I'm hearing a lot from school districts, um, educators in particular, but all of us can miss the signs of somebody being involved in a dating relationship because we do have some of those preconceived ideas of what it looks like. And so we might miss some of the the more subtle behaviors or um, things that are going on, or we're not hearing when somebody's talking about uh, their experience and some of the things that they're they're going through. So what is something that we might see? Um, for example, we talked a little bit about this, but like love bombing. Can you talk a little bit about what love bombing is and some of those other behaviors that we might see? So we get back to the part that I was talking about it that makes it so compelling. Mm -hmm. So that love bombing is giving you all of those messages that we want to hear in our relationships. You know, love at first sight. I love you already. Um, And all of these things are way too soon. Let me meet your friends. Let me meet your family. Um, Let's move in together. Uh, Let's have a, you know, start having a family um, all of those different things. I want to spend my whole life with you. I can't live without you. And that kind of stuff, it just happens way too early. But as young people and actually anybody, we mm-hmm. see it online. We see everything young people are doing, adults are doing. Mm-hmm. And so once you start to hear those messages, you've been wanting, everybody desires to feel that way, to hear those things from the person that they really care about And so it's incredibly compelling Mm -hmm. and it moves the relationship way too fast. You start to bond too quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, how many of us have actually had a friend in a relationship who drops out of our lives for a while? Yeah, because they're all wrapped up in the relationship. It becomes the priority. And so that can happen with young people. But the difference is they don't come back. Mm-hmm. That doesn't come to a balance where they reengage with all their friends. So then you become dependent on that person for the affection, for um, attention, for everything, because it feels good to be around that person. And then it could be that this person who is love bombing then kind of flips the switch and and may become more abusive or more controlling and maybe lets down uh, their mask a little bit. Is is it intentionally done, love bombing, or is it something that happens, you know, they don't even realize that they're doing that to somebody? Um, I definitely think that people that are likely to love bomb actually feel that way. They bond too quickly. Mm-hmm. And so the flipping the switch mm-hmm. is really that dependency thing. Mm-hmm. Um, from the person who's love bombing, it's like, I really can't live without you. Yeah. I really want to have a future with you. And so anything that starts to, like, they pull away, mm-hmm. um, and it might not be really pulling away. It just might be that they want to reengage with their friends. Mm-hmm. They want to spend more time with the family. But on the love bomber side, it's like, oh, my goodness, um, they this isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. They aren't as attached to me. They're trying to get away from me. They're trying to meet other people. 
And so it's not really flipping the switch. Mm -hmm. It's that the insecurities with that, you know, really tight bond really start to get raised. Jealousy comes up. um, And any form that can be seen as pulling away Mm -hmm. um, has an exaggerated reaction to try to pull them back. Yeah, it triggers the insecurity. Yeah. And then the the behavior escalates to try to regain that intimacy or that closeness or that, um, that feeling of connection. Yes, yeah. absolutely. One of the things that you mentioned that I want to make sure is very clear, um, and this is something that I've been talking about with coworkers and friends, I think one of the reasons that it gets overlooked, <clears throat> excuse me, dating violence, especially in adolescence, is because we have this idea of men are always the aggressor, um, women are always the victims. It only happens in heterosexual relationships, um, and it and we do sometimes look at things that very binary. It's it's black or white. It's um, this behavior or this behavior, and sometimes it's on a continuum. And so I wanted to to just reiterate what you had mentioned that it can it can be in all forms of relationships, and it can happen in very young um, children. And so I just wanted to highlight that point again so that we don't have that missed. I'm hearing from school uh, resource officers all the time. There's just not enough resources available, and there's not enough education um, regarding teen dating violence specifically, because we do think of it as older, older relationships. And I'm so glad that you brought that up, because one of the things when I'm talking um, in the schools about relationships, I always start with, it doesn't matter um, if you're in a same gender, different gender, same sex, different sex, um, whatever is going on in your relationship, it is possible, it can happen. And you can't be stuck in this mindset of what it needs to look like because then for sure you'll miss the signs. And I think a lot of times people think of um, young relationships as puppy love. Mm -hmm. Um, They really denigrate the power of, you know, what our feelings are. Like, do you remember your first crush? Absolutely. Okay. How old were you? Um, I was probably 12. And I remember he touched my back. And it sent shivers through my whole body. Exactly. So all of those first times, the first time you have this overwhelming feeling of a crush, Mm -hmm. you want to be around them all the time. Mm -hmm. You want, like, every time you're away from them, you're thinking of them. Mm -hmm. And if they actually like you back, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. And it's compelling. And we as adults, we're always looking for that that same feeling. Mm -hmm. And so imagine that you're feeling it for the first time. What would you be willing to do in order to keep that feeling? Absolutely. And so that's what the conundrum is. It's there's nothing that's going to be as compelling as being around that person, which makes it incredibly hard to have boundaries, to pull away just because bad things happen sometimes. Mm -hmm and um, actually leave those relationships. Thank you for saying that. That's one of the things that I talk to adults about all the time is we forget what it's like to be a kid. We look at everything from our adult perspective and our adult brain looking at everything, and we do. It's kind of condescending to say, well, you don't really understand what love is. And yes, we're looking at it from a different lens, but the thing is, is they do understand what love is. Um, Or we say, well, you haven't gone through anything yet. Like, this is this if this is the worst thing you've been through, just you wait. Well, in their lives, that is the worst thing that they've been through up until that point. So thank you again for bringing in. This is the perspective of our young people and to be sure to not denigrate that or dismiss it as just puppy love and they don't really know what they're talking about. The 
And everything that's true of teen relationships is true of adult relationships. We know plenty of people who've been in that really hard relationship or that you're kind of frightened for your friends Mm -hmm. and they don't leave. And it's the exact same reasons. Only take that as an adult when you've had experiences and we think that it would be easier um, to be able to leave Mm -hmm. and go back to like what you said, that first time that you feel that, those first really, really strong feelings Mm -hmm. and figure out how they could possibly have the courage to leave a relationship. I know even in my adult life, Mm -hmm. you know, I had an like really, really strong relationship. And what you have to realize is that you can walk away and that you don't have to wait until the love disappears. Sometimes you just have to walk away because you're on different paths Mm -hmm. because it doesn't really work for you because you're not a good match. And that is the hardest thing to do Yes, is get into your rational mind and say, this is going nowhere. I need to leave. And it's painful. Mm -hmm. And who's going to help you through that painful part where you know all the pain stops the minute you talk to them, um, but you have to somehow have enough discipline not to go back? Absolutely. I, I love that you said that, too. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently is it, it is sometimes hard to make those decisions because it's not what you want to do. Uh, one of the things I say all the time is feelings aren't facts. So feelings are, are valid. I feel what I feel. But the fact is this, or the truth is this, we aren't going um, in the same direction, or this isn't, um, this person isn't bringing out the best in me, right? And it could be that two people, even in a friendship, there's nothing, if you and I are friends, there's nothing wrong with you, there's nothing wrong with me, but when I'm with you, I recognize that I'm jealous a lot, or I'm uncomfortable, and not putting that on you, that's just, it's maybe not bringing out the best in me, uh, those types of things. Um. Really glad that you brought up that you can use your own feelings as Mm -hmm. a monitor because so many times in our field, it's about evaluating your partner. And that's the first thing we learn in therapy. If you ever have to go to couples therapy Mm -hmm. is stop putting it off on the other person. You really have to do your internal work. And so for young people, it's important. It's like, how do you feel? How are you feeling in this relationship? Are you feeling like All of my emotions are based on how my partner is feeling. Mm -hmm. Am I feeling like I'm walking on eggshells? Am I scared to share feedback or thoughts or ideas that are different than my partner's? Am I scared to say no or bring up my own boundaries or the fact that I want to spend more time with my friends? Mm -hmm. And am I starting to get more insecure about myself? Mm -hmm. And all of those different things. And it doesn't have to be abuse. It's just, am I having to change to be in this relationship or am I being valued for who I am um, so that I feel like I can be my best self? I can be myself that has boundaries, that knows what I want, that isn't compromising my values, all of those different things. Because when we have that, it's like magic. And when we compromise those things, It really changes how we see ourselves in the Mm -hmm. world and our ability to actually attract a relationship. Because it changes our identity of ourselves as well. And I think one of the problems and maybe one of the reasons that we're seeing a rise in dating, dating violence relationships is or relationships that have dating violence within them 
is because there's we don't have a lot of models of what a quote unquote healthy relationship is. And I think for young people, I mean, all of us do this. We look to everybody else. What is what is quote unquote normal is what I'm doing and what I'm experiencing the same as everybody else, because I want to be included and I want to be doing the right thing. And so we might be looking at relationships on social media and think this is the ideal relationship. And if I can model my behavior or my relationship on what I perceive everybody else to be doing, I'm on the right track. Where's where's the fallacy in in that thinking? Anything you do based on social media, and this is a big reason why people sometimes miss the signs, Mm -hmm. because they're making these amazing posts and hurting inside. And people think that that's what we should aspire to. Mm -hmm. And as long as our social media looks good, it doesn't really matter what's really happening because young people think that they know that they're lying on social media, but they think that the other people are telling the truth. Yes. So there's this shame that my relationship isn't like that. And so instead of getting help, looking um, to talk about it, They want to hide it more and more because they want to be part of that, oh, we're in love, I'm Mm -hmm. a couple, all these different things. And if you look at um, where they get their messages, if we look at TV, um, songs, everything, everything that they have access to, um, you can often see that there's these really, really triggering and unhealthy messages about what it's like to be in a relationship. And, you know, there's no models for it. Mm -hmm. So, and sometimes, you know, we have to look as I am not a parent. I Mm -hmm. am a parent of cats because I work with people's children and it's safer for me. Um, (laughs) But uh, young people, the relationships that are being modeled in their family, Mm -hmm. those are going to make the biggest impression on them because it creates the scripts for them that they could easily follow and fall into. And so young people who are growing up with adults who are modeling, you know, imbalanced relationships, they're picking up on that. And even if they say, I will never have a relationship like my parents, my guardians, the people around me, you fall into that pattern because it is familiar Mm -hmm. and that makes it comfortable. And familiar means like family. We already know how to exist within that. We know what the roller coaster, if you're experiencing that, what that looks like. And so it's really hard to actually not do that and not see that as love because that's how you've experienced love in your life. And it's not that you're destined for it. So I want to just be clear. It's not that if you grew up in uh, an environment where there was violence, that you are destined to repeat that pattern. It's what you're saying is that it it can be easy to fall into that pattern if you're not very um, cognizant and actively working on yourself and in um, intentionally seeking out um, different relationships and experiences. It can be easy to fall into those same familiar patterns. Um, it does make you more at risk, mm-hmm. but it's not destiny. Um, and that's why the bulk of our program is actually counselors working with young people so that they can break those cycles. And so same-gendered people are with same-gendered counselors Mm -hmm. who get to help them learn how to be in relationships, how to be empathetic. And actually, one of the biggest things, empathy for people who are 
hurting mm-hmm. others in their relationships, when their empathy IQ, emotional IQ goes up, and they can actually see what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes and heal from the hurts that they've experienced in their families, it's much easier for them to then engage in different types of relationships. So that intervention Mm -hmm. for the young people who are most at risk can change the course of their lives. I read an article recently in Counseling Today, and they said that there are certain personalities that are more vulnerable to abuse, and they are people who are overly responsible, um, inexperienced in relationships, highly empathetic, and that they avoid conflict at all costs. And I thought that that was a really interesting article to read to understand that if we maybe have some of these personalities or some of these behaviors to just be very, again, be very cognizant, uh, maybe working with somebody or taking relationships very slow, so that it's not something that you're you're in- incredibly vulnerable to an experience like that. And they're really talking about the victim side. Right, and right. I hate using those words because I think it's more nuanced than that. And you can totally see why. Mm -hmm. And if you look at all of those um, characteristics Mm -hmm. that you just talked about, how many of those are drilled into us when you're growing up in a female body? Absolutely. That those are the ideals. And so maybe that's part of the reason that we're seeing this uh, heterosexual relationships, Mm -hmm. boy and girl, where um, a girl can be more likely to um, be hurt in their relationships because they're learning, oh, I have to compromise. Mm -hmm. Um, I need to be nice all the time. I need to care about your feelings and caretake your feelings. And all these things show that I love you and care. Right, right. And we talked a little bit about this, but why is it that, uh, I mean, I think every target of abuse or every victim, I don't like that word either, but just for ease of conversation, um, why is it that, and even the people who are abusing, why is it that they are so hesitant, especially young people, to to tell anybody about what they're going through, to reach out for help? Okay, think about all of us. Mm -hmm. As adults, when you bring someone that you're serious about home, what do you want from your parents? Approval. Teens are no different. Yeah. They want approval. They want their parents to be excited about their relationship, not create barriers to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's the difference. We as adults get to date whoever we want, bring in front of our family whenever we choose to. Young people aren't allowed those same, um, you know, freedoms Mm -hmm. because they live with their parents. Their parents are bound to notice. Um, They really need the approval to continue with the relationship. And so for all of those, and they want their parents to trust them. Mm -hmm. I make good decisions. I bring the right people in my life. And I'm crazy about this person. And so it's really, really hard. Um, I've also worked with young people um, in all these different roles. But a lot of times our counseling, the kids who are getting counseling, Mm -hmm. they get to the point where I don't need counseling anymore and I want to help other people. So then they become part of my leadership groups, which is the focus of my work, to be able to share their wisdom And one young person told me the greatest thing ever. I wasn't raised to take abuse. I wasn't raised to be the type of person that would let myself be treated that way in a relationship. So how could I tell my parents that I've totally disappointed them? Wow. And that was um, heartbreaking. 
And the other thing is so many young people want the adults in their world to admire them. Mm -hmm. And so the teacher, my favorite teacher, they see me in high regard. How can I tell them I'm in this relationship that is hurtful and dangerous? And so it becomes really, really hard to talk to people about it, even within their friendship groups, because their friends might have already seen some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, I just need you to break up with them. I can't believe you're still staying with them. And that's part of that isolation. Mm -hmm. They start to lose their friends because they're not going to live up to the ultimatum that their friends have given them. And so even more so, now they're even more dependent on this relationship for their self-esteem, for their connection, and all the other good things that we have when we're in relation to other people. And they don't see our partner like we see them, right? So everybody outside of their relationship is kind of looking at it objectively. And they're seeing things that those of us in a relationship may not see. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing. So if I'm experiencing something... Um, I can excuse that behavior. Well, they don't really, you don't see him the way that I see him. It's, it's kind of minimizing our, our, uh, our own, I shouldn't say minimizing. It is dismissing the behaviors as, you know, not, not really that big of a deal because you don't see all the other things that he or she is doing. And I think another important thing to remember, young people don't want to burden their parents with things. They see what their parents are going through. I don't want to burden you with this. And I feel like I should be able to do this, handle this on my own. Especially, I think, teenagers. They um, they feel like they're almost grown up and they should be able to take responsibility and accountability and they're capable of handling things on their own. And so they may be more hesitant to reach out for help because of that. Um, I work with fifth graders through 12th graders. And young people at every age, mm -hmm. remember when we were young, we thought we were so grown. Yep. And the first way that we step into that is I should be able to take care of my own problems, mm -hmm. my own issues. And so that happens with bullying, cyberbullying, sexual harassment, dating violence, any of those issues. I should be able to handle this mm -hmm. on my own. Yep. And that's the trap that young people often fall into. So as a broader thing, mm -hmm. um, one of the games I play is step forward if you think young people your age would go to an adult, go to an adult when they're uh, dealing with big issues or having big problems. Rarely do any of the young people at any age, fifth through 12th graders, step forward. And that is the exact reason I should be able to handle this. I want to show that I can take care of myself. Mm -hmm. All those different things. The problem is the solution for so many of these things is find a trusted adult, tell a trusted adult. And so guess what? We don't have young people who are getting help when they need it the most. Why is language so important in talking with young people about relationships? So that we don't push them away. Going back to that hurtful versus mm -hmm. loving, um, you know, it's like we can talk about those because guess what? We all live, all of our relationships are on this spectrum. At my best, I'm doing all the loving stuff. At the worst, I'm tired, I'm grouchy, mm -hmm. I'm holding on to things. You know, I haven't done my own work. And I might be doing those hurtful things. Mm -hmm. So we're always bouncing back. If we actually show them that there's this whole spectrum and um, we all can benefit from looking at where we're doing, 
I am standing responsibility when we do the wrong thing and figure out how to correct it. Then we have a better idea of making it an idea that it's fluid mm-hmm. and that you can hold people accountable if, for the negatives. And the way that they react to that has everything to do with how you move forward. Because I have young people who ask me advice after a workshop. Mm-hmm. How, how do I know if they can change? And it's like, give them a simple thing. Um, say no to them and see how they react. Yes. If it's scary or uncomfortable or it feels like you're going to be abandoned, then let them know that's how you feel. Because when you're the most vulnerable, if people are not bringing, if that doesn't trigger the most loving side of them, Mm -hmm. that's what makes it most dangerous. Because it's really hard for young people and adults to be vulnerable. So if it's like what you're doing, um, I'm scared. I'm scared right now. I feel like you're going to leave me. Um, I feel like you're going to stop loving me. I am really, really unsure right now. If they're still continuing to react that way, Mm -hmm. you have to really look at that as a sign. Because if people squash you when you're vulnerable, it's really, really hard to bounce back from that. Mm -hmm. And there's stuff going, it's not about you. Yeah. Then you know for sure it's about their ways of coping with discomfort over your feelings. And it's better to find that out sooner rather than later. So when you're starting to have those concerns or those little, um, we talked about yellow flags in a previous conversation. So could you talk a little bit more about the yellow flags, those little things that might pop up? Again, in my field, we're looking for the red flags, the big things. They've hit you. um, They've called you something so horrible you can't possibly take it back. Or um, all of those things that are really about, I should probably break up and Mm -hmm. I may not. I might rationalize it. And um, that's too far because young people will tell you, I'm in love. Mm -hmm. I have two years in. I've been accommodating them all this time. I'm waiting for it to come around Mm -hmm. that somehow that's healed them and that I won't have to give up so much. I won't have to compromise so much. I'm going to stick by them and show them that I love them until they don't need to do those behaviors anymore. And so it's important that they understand that it actually gets worse over time. So instead, you want to talk to young people about those yellow flags. And one of the easiest ways is pick something that you don't really care about Mm -hmm. and just start saying no and see how they react to it. No, I actually can't make it to your soccer game because I have plans with my friends. Um, No, I really don't want pizza tonight. See how they react to those things and try to keep your distance because once you catch feelings or start feeling um, really involved, that's when we start to rationalize away the bad and uplift the good. I love that you said that. And I think one of the things that I I do personally and I talk to young people about too is setting kind of those, um, those boundaries of where you're not willing to cross early on in the relationship. So um, I had a a dating relationship where um, he was like, I don't I don't want you doing that. I don't like you talking to other guys. 
And he was joking, but he was seeing how I was going to respond. And so I immediately responded with, yeah, you tell me that and I'll be doing that more often. And just kind of setting that that standard really early that, no, I'm not you're not going to be telling me who I can talk to and who I can be around with. Um, and so I think going in a line, going in line with your yellow flags and paying attention to those things, I think those that's another thing to be aware of, too, is when somebody's testing your boundaries and seeing how far you're willing to go with something. Absolutely. In fact, one of the regrets that young people, like over half of them have compromised their values to be in a relationship. And that's the stuff that really, really hurts you deep inside. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can't come back from it depending on what you had to compromise. Um, And so what you're talking about is if you can be strong about that in the beginning, it sets the tone for the relationship and it could scare off that person who needs you to compromise more. Absolutely. So talking about like power and control in relationships, what are some of the ways that somebody who is, a, a, for lack of a better word, abusive in the relationship, what are some of the ways that they might try to to keep that person in a relationship and, and prevent them from leaving? It's all emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole power of a relationship is I want to be with you and you want to be with me. So anything that triggers the fact that I don't want to be with you anymore Mm -hmm. is exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be um, abandonment. It could be emotional hurt. Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, every time you disagree or any time you disagree, oh, I'm hurt. And Mm -hmm. then the other person is, oh, I would never want to hurt you. Or it could be, you know what? I'll just spend time with other people. Oh, no, please don't leave me. It's all of those things that keep you insecure about that attachment and Mm -hmm. connection and needy for it. And um, so anything along those lines, the physical stuff, whether the physical stuff is happening or not, Mm -hmm. if there is physical things, you can definitely believe that it started with these emotional abandonments, this psychological warfare, and um, and that's what gets you there. Sometimes there's not anything physical until you think of leaving, choose to leave, or after. And so you can't always know where it's going to end, and that's one of the reasons. So Safe Alliance, mm-hmm. I really want to talk about this. We have a chat line, safe line. Young people always say only old people call the hotline. So we have other ways for them to reach out and stay completely anonymous Mm -hmm. and get a read for their relationship. Maybe they're not willing to find that trusted adult, but you really need adult perspective in this. Mm -hmm. And so they can help you think through what's going on and figure out how to stay safe because a lot of people don't realize, like even parents, Mm -hmm. it's like, just break up with them, we'll be good. It can be dangerous for a long time after that. And one of the hardest things for anybody to do is um, stay away from them. And you really, really have to do that because you can't heal somebody from the fact that you broke up with them. And people think that they do. Yeah. And that they can, or we can still be friends. No, you actually have to have all of this time away from them. Make sure that they're not still thinking they can get you back. Mm -hmm. um, Because any of those times is still going to keep you in relation to them. And 
then that abandonment and that feeling like it's actually over is extremely overwhelming and scary to that person who was trying so hard to hold on to you. And that's when you get that, if you leave me, I'll just kill myself mm -hmm. or I'll hurt you or I'll hurt somebody else or, or I just can't get over you. Can you just please come talk to me? And unfortunately, when a young person has engaged with that person, even if they've been broken up for a while, it could be the last their last day on earth. And so we really have to look at the long-term impact of being in a hurtful relationship and that it's a long process to actually extricate yourself from it and know that you're safe. Yeah, that that is the most dangerous time in a relationship is when somebody is thinking about ending it or ending it. And one of the things I think is to pay attention specifically to behavior, not the words. Um, they might tell you like, no, I'm over you. I'm over you. But they're texting you all the time or they're driving by your house. Um, they're not over you. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I think what, what you're talking about with parents saying, just leave and we'll be okay. What are some of the safety things to consider when a person, and this applies to any relationship, any age, but specifically for young people, what are some of the safety tips um, and planning that needs to go into leaving an abusive relationship? So when it's a hurtful relationship, if you break up by text, ooh, freak them out completely. Um, it could be dangerous to obviously be one-on-one because -on -one, mm -hmm. we just talked about that. So if you can do it in a public place with friends close by, with your parents close by, some safety nets around that and um, not like just being clear about this isn't working for me. I need to get on with my life. Not having the back and forth mm -hmm. because that emotional reaction, you know, um, starts to build. Mm -hmm. And um, so leaving and then cutting off all ties. Because if they're going to try to follow you on social media to see, because the automatic thing is you're only leaving me because you want somebody else. It's never there was something bad in the relationship mm -hmm. or not being able to see themselves. So that stalking on mm -hmm. social media, that com coming by your house, uh, trying to see you at school. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons in Austin schools, because um, my boss, Barry Rosenbluth, who is now retired, created our program and worked a lot with Austin Independent School District mm -hmm. to create stay-away orders. So it's kind of like a protective order light for mm -hmm. in the schools because in schools you can't avoid people. They might right. be in your class. You might see them in the hallways. And so if you have a stay-away order, it actually means that both students and their parents know about this and they have to stay away from each other, whether it's changing one student out of their class, making sure they're going down different hallways, and being around your friends so that if they're doing anything, um, that you have witnesses, that you can talk about it. Um, but sometimes it's enough, just that fear, now my parents know, um, so that they can stay away from each other until we get to the point where the emotions hopefully have calmed down. But we've also seen some young people have to switch schools mm -hmm. because it doesn't. They continue to be dangerous. And it, it 
if you're in a school that doesn't have a stay away order, it can be, and just for anybody listening, it can be that a student switches classes. Um, some other general safety tips, um, not being alone, always having friends or somebody with you, uh, deviating your patterns so that you're not doing the same thing, you know, leaving your house at exactly the same time, going home the same exact route, just kind of deviating your patterns. Um, maybe having code words. So that's the thing that's big in my family is we have code words for um, for different things. But specifically, if you're in a relationship that maybe there are some unhealthy behaviors or things are escalating, there might be a code word for, um, I need you to call me to help help me get out of this situation or um, a code word for, I need you to call the police. You can have find my friends on your phone so that your friends and family can see where you are at all times. Um, those types of things might be helpful for general safety. And absolutely making sure that people know where you're going and what you're doing um, so that they know to be on guard or to be ready to come into action. And what you brought up, too, is being around friends. There are young people who don't have very many friends. Mm -hmm. And so these are the people who are most at danger, in danger, um, because they don't have that crowd around them. And that's definitely a time when you would want to ask student resource officer or somebody who's compassionate about your situation or a teacher or whatever. Maybe they need to accompany you to your next class or some way that you can figure out ways that you're in crowds because you're much safer that way. And it might be hard to reach out for help, but letting people know the situation that you're in, there might be, um, you know, pal groups or other groups in your school that if you tell a school counselor that that there's people that can come and be near you. And it is, I know it is difficult to ask for help. Um, it is difficult to let people know that you're in the situation you're in. But I think it's really important that everybody knows that you're not alone, that nobody is alone in this, that there are people that care about you, that love you, that are there to help you. Um, just talking about having a somebody walk you somewhere I was at the dollar store a couple months ago and there was somebody that was following me around and I was by myself and I saw a couple that were checking out and I asked them to just walk with me to my car. People want to help and they were very happy to walk me to my car. And so just letting people know and understand that you're not a burden to somebody that they they're looking for a way to help. And and this segues perfectly into the work I do. Yes. I really, really work with young people to become leaders on their campus as advocates, as those helpers, as the people who understand these issues better and know what actually works to keep people safe mm -hmm. versus what our gut reactions, which are often wrong. And so they are the groups of people who do things in their schools, um, have like our notice, mm -hmm. talk to their peers, because guess who they're going to talk to? If you're having any of those issues on campus, you're much more likely to talk to people your own age, mm -hmm. people in your class. And so once you know that they understand it's not embarrassing, um, they, we know this happens, you're not alone, and they can reach out for that help. So I have our young leaders that identify themselves. If you're having these problems, come see us, or we're available on these days. We're available if you talk to your counselors. Uh, the counselor knows that we're here mm -hmm. because young people have an infinite capacity to want to help each other. And I think we don't realize that because we know of the meanness and the judgment and 
you know, bullying and things like that. But we forget that young people that have knowledge about something, they want to share it so badly and they want to be able to help as many people as possible. So could you talk specifically about some of the stuff that you do within schools? And I want to not only talk about what you guys do, but if we have um, an administrator, for instance, or a school counselor listening to the podcast and they want to start something in their school, what are some of the things or ideas that you could give them um, to to kind of help uh, not only reach these people as far as education, but also with developing leaders? Okay, so one of the things I do, I know in our my field, People always say youth-led, and I do that with air quotes because it's really about youth-adult partnerships, which are important Mm -hmm. because young people need to know that there are adults that care about them Mm -hmm. because sometimes they're failed by adults in the schools. And and we need their brilliance, how to get through to their peers, give us an idea of what your school culture looks like, tell us what the problems that are going on, Mm -hmm. and that's how... I work to create a solution for them. So every group has different ideas, and we um, work together to create a safe environment where they can share their experiences and their stories, but not a counseling group Mm because I'm not a counselor. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really to, we do interactive games and all sorts of things that allow them to see issues differently and learn what works. And then they get to decide how they want to apply it and change the norms in their school that are allowing for these hurts. Um, and most important part is that the adults allow them to do that. I've yeah. definitely been in schools where adults don't want to believe that dating violence is an issue mm-hmm. at your school or bullying or whatever. And so they shut them down. And that's, guess what? That's the entire message that the young student body takes away is nobody cares, nobody sees what's really happening, and they're not going to help us with the things that matter the most. But you're supposed to create a trusted adult. Mm. So that's why we work with um, changing school cultures. You start at the top. You start with staff. uh, You train them on what to look for before even your leaders come in Mm -hmm. because if young people – are starting to raise their awareness of sexual harassment, bullying, dating violence, um, they're going to be more likely to come forward and the adults need to be receptive or it gets shut down right there. Yes. Yeah. And so young leaders can't thrive in an environment that doesn't have adult support on campus. Right. Working against them. Yes. So practicality wise, is this are these groups taking place during school hours or after school hours? Okay, nothing works after school. Think about all the, like, they can get jujitsu or um, art classes or whatever after school. And they don't want to go and learn about relationships and Mm -hmm. bullying and all these prevention topics. So we actually work in the school day. We go to them. Um, I work with young people who are aspirational leaders Mm -hmm. or they're already showing leadership on their campus, like they're part of a No Place for Hate group, which Mm -hmm. is an anti-defamation league um, designation that they can earn for their school. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe they're student council and they want to do a mental health week or do um, a lot of different things to spread out on their campus. Or they're a group that just wants to come together and I pitch them, would you be interested in 
dealing with the issues that make it hard to come to school. And you'd be surprised how many young people want to come and then realize that our group is fun um, and they get, get the opportunity to share, share their stories, um, share their concerns, and that people are responsive about, okay, so what do you want to do about that? Mm-hmm. How can we do something amazing for your campus? And you do really cool stuff, too, like it, a podcast and a play, something. Could you talk about that a little bit? Okay, so the way our program um, works, we actually have um, two, well, four pillars. Mm-hmm. We definitely have, hold on. <clears throat> We have the counseling, Mm -hmm. which is the biggest piece of our work. Then we have a theater component Mm -hmm. where um, we have young artivists. Mm -hmm. So they're really using the art of theater and um, different art forms Mm -hmm. to really get their messages out. Then we have leadership, which I have artivists as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I have young people who have created a musical about healthy relationships Mm -hmm. that they did. Um, we've had mask exhibits to celebrate identity. So they can do all sorts of amazing artistic things. Um, with our theater component, we have a long-term partnership with Creative Action, and these young people take their experiences and learn theater techniques for one semester, and then second semester, they take all of this stuff, it's created into a show, and they tour it to middle schools. And so it's high schoolers from all sorts of different high schools who do this. And the best part is um, they're paid. Oh, wow. They're paid actors. And so it's a great way for them to step up in their community. And our current show, which we'll be touring, is really, really about relationships, although it could be about anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Right after lockdown, it was called alienation because it was so much about how people felt alienated in their schools, didn't know how to navigate connection again. And so they're always topical for what young people in our communities are really experiencing. Coming down now to a close, what is something that you would specifically tell um, educators, parents, and students about dating violence, something for them to be aware of, if it's something separate, or would you tell them all together something? What would you What would you tell them? So, coming from a prevention standpoint, mm-hmm. I think it most important thing is that we're modeling how to be in relation to other people, whether it's how you treat your friendships or your romantic relationships. Um, that is everything that they see that they know, that they learn, and um, is the most important tool. Second thing is monitoring their friendships. Mm -hmm. How many of us got, um, you know, felt like we were really stabbed in the back by a friend, and now we have trust issues. So we're collecting baggage from our friendships. And so do we have a friend that's really bullying us? Mm -hmm. And we see that as caring. Are we putting up with that? All of those different things. Is my kid bullying in their friendships? Um, Really looking at how they navigate their relationships and power within them. Because you can't bully your friend unless you feel more powerful that they're not going to leave you. And so it's looking at um, how they share power, how they compromise, how they deal with hearing no, and all of those 
if they're good, like practice, like what you said, mm-hmm. having boundaries, mm-hmm. having pushback about all those things. So there was a time when you couldn't talk about consent mm-hmm. because everybody <clears throat> felt like it had to do with sex, mm-hmm. but it's not. Right. It's about the language of navigating boundaries and honoring other people's boundaries. And so that's what I work with the youngest people. It's mm-hmm. like knowing you have boundaries around your body, your belongings, your time, the way people treat you. And how do you navigate those and be able to hold those intact? What's compromisable and what's not? And that really has to do with your values. You never compromise those. And um, so really practicing with that. We have food pun stickers that have been we've been doing for a while. Mm-hmm. And our current one is two donuts. And one donut is saying, do you want to hold hands? <laughs> and the other one is... Uh, sorry, not filling it. Mm. And it's like um, avoid sticky situations, ask mm-hmm. first. And that's that overall theme. How does somebody respond when you say no? Well, and as a parent, am I forcing my child to hug somebody and they're saying, I don't want to hug, hug your, hug your aunt? Well, I don't know. Yes, you need to hug your aunt. Are we pushing them past their their comfortable um, limits, their boundaries with that? And just some things to pay attention to. Um, when we, I had a, a conversation with my mom years ago, um, a, I call him my nephew, but he's a friend of the family's kid. He would go to an activity with us and we'd talk about where we want to go for lunch. And he was maybe 10, 11, 12 at the time. And I would ask for his opinion. Where do you want to go to lunch? And my mom is like, why do you always ask him? I said, because he has an opinion too. And I want him to feel like what he says matters. It's not always going to be what I want or what he wants, but making sure that everybody has uh, a part in it and that, you know, that my opinion is valued, that I'm listening, that I'm listened to, that I'm respected, that I'm important, that my boundaries are um, honored. Those, those little things that we can do. And I think being a present parent too, uh, knowing who your kids' friends are, um, knowing where they're going, what time they're supposed to be back, inviting people in so that you can meet them, just being very present. I definitely think, especially if you're worried about your kid dating, mm-hmm. invite them into the family. Let you can see their dynamic. Your parents are saying, we're going to be part of this. We're going to see the um, good stuff too. Mm-hmm. I always say young people shut down when it's like, tell me about your relationship or something like that. And it's like, Tell me three things that you really love about this person. Mm -hmm. Start with the good. Let them talk about that or they'll never tell you about what's not working. Mm -hmm. And um, so I totally think that's important. And I just want to make one more comment. Mm -hmm. With that, you have to hug auntie, Mm -hmm. whomever. Um, When you tell them that they have to get over their own discomfort so that they don't hurt somebody else's feelings, Okay, now we've already set them up to have to compromise and not trust their feelings and not trust their instincts Mm -hmm. and not trust what they know in their heart they want and need. Mm -hmm. And we have to honor that all the time because so much, uh, definitely as adults in the world, Mm -hmm. we've been taught to be nice, to not hurt people's feelings at the expense of ourselves, And it can often put us in danger. Yes. And so if you want one safety tool is honor your instincts, you have to hone them young to tr- 
teach young people that it's like, guess what? You feel that way for a reason, and that's awesome. And it could be like there's nothing wrong with the aunt or the granddad or whomever it is. It just may be that they haven't opened like they they just need a little bit more time. You know, I don't want to hug them, but I need a little bit more time as an adult. We may know that like my sister, there's nothing wrong with my sister. She's not there's nothing wrong with her. But my you know, my child may just need a little bit more time to soften up or to open up to feel comfortable to hug. And that's okay. Not pushing them past what they're comfortable with or um, pushing them down the line of, of how fast they want to open up or do something. And what is I definitely yeah. not, not saying it's yes. dangerous. It's more that feeling of, I don't feel connected to them yes. in that way. Yes. And so it's connection. Yes. They're not familiar enough. They're not comfortable enough. And that also tells them that we don't have to rush into physicality yes. with anybody until we feel like love or connection or whatever it is that makes it comfortable. And talking about trusting our own instincts, it's and the conditioning that sometimes we have as uh, as women in particular, but getting into an elevator with somebody. And I just want to tell this story really quickly because um, I thought this was really interesting. And I actually do want to talk to you about this for a second, too. Um, I was traveling for work and there was uh, an elevator that there was just one being used. And I was standing there waiting for the elevator to be empty because I don't want to go in an elevator when there's somebody else in the elevator. And there would be, you know, I'd be there first. It would open. A man would come up and he'd walk in and he'd invite me to come in. I'm like, no, no, I'm just going to check the next one. I'm going to take the next one. And I'm, I'm playing it off like I'm waiting for somebody. So this kept happening, kept happening, kept happening. Finally, about 10 minutes later, I'm standing there and a guy walks up and he's like, go ahead. And I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. He goes, no, 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 you go ahead. I'll take the next one. He was paying attention that I was uncomfortable and he let me take the elevator by myself. And I think that that's important for us to to not only recognize our own limits and honor those and not push through what we feel comfortable with. But I think also educating other people about paying attention to those things. And we've talked a lot about the perspective of the the target of dating violence, but we're putting a lot of responsibility on somebody to not be abused. Could you talk a little bit about the responsibility of the person who might end up abusing to kind of check their own emotions and their own behavior? I definitely think it's looking at themselves about loving versus hurtful behaviors, what's going on for me, how do I regulate my emotions, and all of those different things. Mm-hmm. Because you, when somebody hurts somebody that they care about, part of the um, that fear that they're going to lose someone is because they regret doing that. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to regret that. You want to be able to be in relationships and not feel how hard that is if you're constantly feeling jealous if uh, all of these things freak you out it's no more comfortable for them to be in that relationship and so in healing and figuring out all of those things guess what you might be able to be your best self and be comfortable in relationships and it doesn't have to be so hard on you either and so it's kind of a gift to everybody and, and I am not responsible for your emotions. I am responsible for myself, my own emotions, and my own behavior, and my own actions. And the second that I put, you know, my emotions or my behavior on you, that's a problem. That's an indicator. And so I think always checking ourselves, too, that am I expecting you to make me happy? Am I blaming you for my behavior? No, that is all on me. And if I'm noticing that I'm doing that and I'm putting that on anybody else, I have some work to do within myself. 
And we need to remind adults that. Yes. Because we do it all the time. Yes. It's like, well, um, if you just told me I'm beautiful more often, right. I wouldn't have to feel so insecure. So yet again, it's like, of course, young people are experiencing that because we as adults haven't learned how to do that either. Absolutely. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to discuss before we bring this to a close? I'm... Um... Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That there are dangers in young relationships and there are beautiful, beautiful, joyous times. I always tell young people that, like, if you look at your life, it's like a series of books that you put on a shelf later. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you put on that shelf, whoa, I learned that lesson that I shouldn't have said that to somebody if I hadn't been so jealous and might have worked out differently mm -hmm. and sometimes it's like that was the greatest thing mm -hmm. and the greatest thing doesn't have to last forever because part of being young is trying out different things figuring out how you are in relationships what you want in relationships and so thinking that in middle school or high school it's going to be your happily ever after try to think that it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. Um, and that there's a lot of beautiful stories you can have, even when it doesn't work out. It's not against, I think even adults do this. Mm -hmm. If a relationship was a failure, somehow they look at themselves as less, um, less lovable mm -hmm. instead of saying, it's not a failure. Everything's about a lesson. And so one of the things we talk about young people is put it in perspective. Don't just dwell on the good. Mm -hmm. And feel lonely and sad that you don't have that or just dwell on the bad and be um, angry and upset about it. Look at the lessons that we get for ourselves. Mm -hmm. What did I learn about me? What did I learn about what I want in this world? Because once you move it into like your frontal lobe and out of your amygdala and your mm -hmm. feeling side, um, it does help with the feelings. Mm -hmm. um, letting them be where they need to be. You don't have to regret loving somebody. Yeah, taking what you like about that person and looking for that in your next relationship and identifying the things that you didn't like and recognizing that those are things that you won't uh, tolerate or put up with or that you don't want in your next relationship as well. And mostly don't get revenge because it didn't work out. Yes, yes. We see that far too often. There are so many fights in schools and other things over a person who was cheating or mm -hmm. whatever. And um, and also, now, I think that's really yeah. where we want to keep it because I really wanted people to understand that at SAFE, we love love. Yeah. Um, we love Valentine's Day. We love love outside of Valentine's Day. And we just want the most for everybody yeah. to have those experiences and not walk away hurt or diminished from them. And so, um, yeah, we're actually incredibly optimistic because we get to see it all the time. Yeah, we're created to be in relationship with each other. And so it's it's about encouraging those relationships and recognizing the good um, and the, you know, the, the loving relationships and then also recognizing when things are maybe uh, hurtful and recognizing that maybe that person's not a bad person like I talked about. It's just that this is not this is not a good relationship for me to be in and I need to, to move on to either healing myself or the next relationship. Uh, but it's not that 
I'm not unlovable or that there's something wrong with me. Is there any key takeaways that you want to leave people with? Are there any key takeaways? Safety is the concern when somebody is in a hurtful relationship for a long time afterward and getting support from a place like Safe Alliance mm -hmm. is because that we've seen the patterns over time and people will tell you, oh, it may have been bad, but they would never hurt me. Mm. Um, that would never happen. It would never go that far. All of those different things, I think it's important to have that outside perspective. Um, so if you stay safe and they never try to hurt you, no big deal. If they do, at least you're hooked into a supportive environment that understands that that could happen. So I think safety is incredibly important. Um, slow down, look for those yellow flags, um, and try to not go all in right at the beginning because it's much harder. The more you invest, the harder it is to get out of a relationship that may be hurtful. Um, although that's asking a lot mm -hmm. of a lot of different people. And for parents, talk, talk mm -hmm. to your kids. Talk to your kids about um, the mistakes you've made. Mm -hmm. um, listen to them. Young people, um, I do this activity where they talk about what they want from an adult in their lives. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest thing is I want time where, and it mostly comes down to parents, someone just listens to me. Even for a minute. Phone. Yeah. They're not on their phone. They're not cooking dinner. They're not attending to the other kids in their lives. They're not driving. Um, they're not multitasking. And because of that, when I'm in the classroom and young people are sharing, I always look exactly at their, mm -hmm. that one young person and then switch my focus when it's the next person's. And the other young people might be doing chaotic things. Mm -hmm. We're not all perfect. Mm -hmm. um, but they get that moment and it has changed everything. It's not even that much time that you need to give. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember where this quote comes from, but I always uh, remember it that for a lot of people, someone listening to them feels like love. Mm. And guess what? We don't have to be counselors. We don't right. have to be anything. All we have to do is listen with an open heart, nod, mm -hmm. be with them. Don't take it over with your own stories. Mm -hmm. And whatever you do, don't lecture your kids. Yes. Um, but if you can talk, you know, if they want to, has that ever happened to you? Share. When I got bullied and what I regret from it. Mm -hmm. um, when I hurt somebody else and how I felt about it. They want to know that we all make mistakes and that's how we learn. And adults, I'm always talking about the failures in my life with young people when they want to hear it. Mm -hmm. um, because guess what? We all have that in common. It's the human experience. And then it takes away all the, oh, there's something wrong with me because I did something wrong. And it's this failed, not I'm a failure. Exactly. Yeah. This one situation. I can make a different choice. I can rewrite my life. Wherever I am right here, I'm not all my past mistakes. I could be my past lessons, and I can change it by choosing differently. Yeah, it's just a snapshot in time. It doesn't mean that that's going to be it forever. And going on quotes that I don't remember uh, where they came from, there's a quote that I love, and it's uh, I don't know who said it, but it's, my safety is more important than anyone else's emotions or anyone else's feelings. 
And I know that sounds really harsh, but I think it's something that I remind myself and it's something that maybe people could take away as well is just remind myself that my safety is most important. I don't need to worry about the man in the elevator's feelings. Um, I don't need to worry about my aunt's feelings. I just want to feel safe. And that's what's most important in this moment. And the greatest people in the world say no. Yeah. And that's part of what makes them great. Absolutely. Well, Randy, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I wanted to ask you really quickly if you have any resources that you'd like to um, to share with everybody as far as if they need help for learning about healthy relationships or how to get out of a relationship. Do you have any resources that you recommend? Absolutely. Of course, safeaustin.org. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very, very proud of the agency I work with. Um, love is respect. Yes. They have so many amazing quizzes and other um, really interactive things that young people can um, try out, talk with their friends, figure out, um, and learn more about relationships. And if somebody is in a same-sex or same-gender relationship, um, Trevor Project mm-hmm. is incredibly important. Um, so I think there's a lot of wonderful things out there. One Love. Yes. Um, they have some really great videos that I use in my training that have humorous ways to talk about those extremes. And that humor is amazing because it opens it up to talk about it. Um, so uh, definitely we are not at a place where there is not enough resources. It's just connecting them. And I definitely think adults should look at them and learn mm-hmm. um, and even do those quizzes with your kids mm-hmm. and have those conversations and really break down relationships that you're seeing in TV and movies and all those things. Use those as an opportunity to talk about how do you think that would make somebody feel mm-hmm. or um, do you think that's realistic mm-hmm. and um, really bringing in that perspective because it's incredibly bonding and you and it's the safest conversation you can have about relationships without bringing in their emotional ties. Like if you bring up their friendships or other things, um, just have that dialogue. And there's also the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which has resources as well. Um, the Texas School Safety Center is putting together a teen dating violence toolkit. So that will be available. Awesome. In, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. So hopefully that will be available in the next, uh, you know, in the next few months. Um, We'll put that together and that will be a resource as well. Um, I did want to highlight the book Gift of Fear. I think that's a great book for people to read as far as our own intuition. And then if you are, I've recommended this book for, for decades. If you are unsure of what boundaries are, there's a book called Boundaries. Now, it does have a Christian perspective, so I just want to alert everybody to that. We're not promoting that or condoning it. I'm just giving everybody a heads up for that book, but there's a Boundaries for Teens, um, and I think that that's really helpful for understanding what boundaries are, that it's not about keeping people out. It's also about keeping myself safe and understanding what my own personal boundaries are. So those are some the other books that I, I think are great resources for people as well. And from the prevention perspective, mm-hmm. Consent for Kids. Yes. It is such a cute little thing, a uh, book that talks about all the different boundaries. And it has cute little illustrations. And um, it lets young people know the decisions they can make and the ones that they can't, which I think is sometimes hard Yes, when you're talking about consent with kids. It's like there's some things 
you don't get consent about. Mm -hmm. Like you have to go to school, right. you have to take a bath, you have to brush your teeth. Seatbelts. Yes, mm -hmm. seatbelts, holding my hand when I cross the street, mm -hmm. all those different things. And so I think it's a good guide and a fun little thing to talk about. And it's like, what do you think, you know, adults get to make decisions about? And what are the things that you know you are free to? Like have to eat your broccoli. Mm -hmm. oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, Randy, thank you again. Thank you so much for joining me today in the Learning Lab studio, for sharing your experience and your expertise, um, and for everything that you're doing with our young people to help them uh, better understand relationships. Thank you. To the listeners, I hope you leave here with a deeper understanding of how to prevent and talk about teen dating violence. And thank you for joining us in our mission to prepare today for a safer tomorrow. Mm -hmm.